so the uh, the message this morning is I suppose it's a lot like every other message in that it's an attempt to try to get us to understand who God is better at the heart who is he um, and how is, how is it that he's revealed himself to us so a little preface um, each month at Crosswave we, we ask the 40 40 students to submit a question that they would maybe like to ask God. All of them don't do it, but a lot of them do come up with questions that they would like to ask God. A lot of them are about dinosaurs, <laughs> uh, mosquitoes, that sort of thing. But there are some really perceptive questions too. Um, and today I want to look at a question that a uh, recent question asked by a 15-year-old girl that was raised as she thought about a devotion that Rebecca had written a couple of years ago uh, on why God made us in his image as male and female. Now, I had thought sharing this quiet time with the kids would be an appropriate way to kind of open up the whole discussion about male and female because, as you know, there's a huge amount of confusion about sexual identity. It's an extremely divisive topic in the day's world. And I think we are fortunate to have 40 young minds in Crosswave and another 20 on staff that are eager to know what the Bible says about this. Isn't that a great thing to think about? And this young girl, she was reading, well, male and female. And, And so here's her question. If the Bible says that God is neither male nor female, then why does it always refer to God as he? And as father. And the church as his bride. Why? Well, <laughs> Carla relayed this question to me because it didn't come up through the normal channels. It, it was a question that prompted as she was studying and she texted Carla. And Carla texted me and said, let's talk about this. And the more I thought about it, uh, how to answer this question, the more concerned I got. Because... Um, how could I know what additional questions an incomplete answer to her might cause? Because once you start pulling on a thread of male and female and a thread of God, who knows where it's going to be attached to or how a kid might misunderstand what I say and then drive over. Oh, Mr. Bill said da, da, da. No, I never said that. Uh, what kind of additional questions could an incomplete answer cause? Or how could a good but inadequate answer cause a young person to walk away with a vital misunderstanding that could lead to doubt or confusion about their sexual identity? What do you think, based on this brief introduction, pitfalls could stem from a weak answer that do more harm than good? Why do we call God He? Is God both male and female? Is He bisexual? Well, I want to be bisexual, just like God. <laughs> or is he... You can just imagine, where does your mind take you what an inadequate answer would be? So pray with me. Jesus, um, we thank you for your glory in revealing who you are to us. the one source that you've given us 
we hold precious because it shines a light into our path and it brings light into our minds and our hearts. So Jesus, we pray that we might sit under your instruction here this morning about such a simple yet fundamental topic that we might be prepared for the days ahead for whatever you bring into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's, here's one of the main texts that's prompted this. Uh, Galatians 3, 27 through 29. Uh, Paul is writing, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to promise. So this is the first question. Does this verse say that being baptized in Christ means you lose your sexual identity? There's no male or female. Do you lose it? <laughs> How do you interpret that? Of course not. It doesn't mean that. And this verse doesn't necessarily directly say that God is neither male or female. Only that in Christ, all humans are one without that distinction. All humans that are in Christ participate in the promise of God and become children of faith. But it does raise this question. How should we refer to this God of the Bible? Many human languages assign gender to nouns and pronouns. French. The bridge is female, right? I think. Maybe not. Amanda would know. Spanish. Other languages. They assign gender to and pronouns to, to things. Although it's hardly hard to find any consistency between languages, how they do it. You've heard of father time, mother nature. Does that mean time is really masculine? Does it mean nature is really feminine? What about Yahweh? Who gets to decide if God is male or female? Can we decide? doesn't matter what we call it. So let's start here. God is spirit. And yet in a marvelous way, he made us in his image as physical beings. You with me? He is spirit. We're made in his image, but he made us physical beings. And, and Pat introduced this thought already when she says, you know, when you find it, when you walk in your true identity in Christ, that's when your life really comes alive. And that's a big part of the message today, Pat, is what you just said. We are creatures of a space-time-matter world that God announced and created in Genesis 1. We also see that as God spoke, he also separated. He separated light from darkness. He separated day from night, morning from evening, seas from dry land. And then rather than just by speaking, God took dust from the earth to form the first man, Adam, separate from the animals. And then God took from Adam a rib and fashioned Eve as a fit helper for him. He separated those made in his image into male and female. Here's the point. Our physical identity is a necessary aspect of who we are. 
just like light and darkness. Just like the seas from the dry land. It's, it's a necessary thing of who we are. I am male through and through. Julius female through and through. For God didn't just create humans. He separated humans into male and female. And even though he being spirit is neither one. So you tracking with me? And this is really basic stuff. But it's from this basic understanding of God. Everything else from, from this, everything else flows. God made the female suitable or complementary for the male. Note, now there's no debate about the equality of men and women here. Both are made in God's image and therefore equal. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me assure you, and this is my real point to Crosswave here at the beginning. Let me assure you that your identity as being male or female is a precious life-defining gift from God. It is a distinction God chose to make for you. Even more precious than when and where and to whom you were born. These are all things, also things over which you have no control. I mean, you don't control when you're born. The little baby, Anastasia, has no decision about who her parents were or when she was going to be born or where she's going to be born. She, huh? Or he. Yeah. One or the other, not Right. Uh, God even knows the number of hairs in your head. And there are some that argue that not only does he know the number, he causes the number to be what he wants it to be. Your maleness or femaleness falls into the same blessedness as all these other decrees spoken by our loving God. So if you are male, Rebecca in her quiet time said, if you are male, rejoice in being male. If you are female, rejoice in being female. It is part of your identity and it's to help you know God better. It's the way as God is going to choose to bless you through your maleness or your femaleness. But does knowing this about ourselves help us determine how we should refer to God? Well, it might if we wanted to make God in our own image, which a lot of people are prone to do. They want to make God in their own image. But we are made in his image, not he in our image. The Bible describes many characteristics and traits of God in revealing what he's like. We could sort through these many descriptions in scripture and we could set aside all the masculine traits, what we call masculine traits and put them over here and all what we call the feminine traits and put them over here. And then we say, which one has the most and choose that way. But this language in scripture serves to make it possible for us to understand God better because God does have characteristics that we think are more masculine and he has characteristics that we think are more feminine. I wonder whether we were thinking correctly when we assign all these things. I mean, we look at the, the graphs and the distribution of population and we make assumptions. But this language helps us to understand God better, not to define him as male or female. Alas, many people have wanted to do this in order to address God as mother. But it falls far short of honoring the scriptures as holy scriptures. If the scriptures are holy, they're sacred. 
They are without error. They are without failure. They reveal God the way he wanted to reveal himself. So I ask you, can we force our God-designed physical characteristics, can we take the, the characteristics God gave us as physical beings, and we push them back on God in some way? No, we can't do that. Although we try to. I get angry, therefore God God must get angry. I get disappointed in in myself, therefore God must get disappointed in me. No. We have to set that thinking aside. We can't push back onto God human characteristics that he made us with. So I've come to this. The question of how we refer to God really has only one answer. Although God possesses qualities we think represent both male and female genders, he chose to reveal himself to us by only using masculine terms. God is never described with sexual characteristics in the scriptures, but he describes himself in the masculine gender every single time he is referred to in scripture. Every single time. The most important name for God, you know, we could debate it, but the one I want to share is... Uh, is the one he revealed to Moses so the people would, of Israel would know who had sent Moses to them. God said to Moses, what did he say? I am who I am. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Exodus 3, 14 and 15. I am who I am. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We use the word Yahweh to represent I am that I am. This covenant name, Yahweh, comes from the present tense of the verb to be. And in the Old Testament, there are more than 6,800 references to I am who I am. 6,800 references to Yahweh. Each time, each and every time, it's always associated with masculine adjectives and masculine verbs every single time the name Yahweh makes God's uniqueness as both divine and personal I am who I am we refer to God as he and him because that's how he chose to reveal himself to us it's one of these non-negotiables that God gives us as we recognize this we can See that generally he chooses to present himself in the Bible by emphasizing what we consider masculine qualities and metaphors, things like fatherhood, protection, direction, strength, provision, and then titles or metaphors such as king and master and judge and husband and the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, some people still want to blur the emphasis God made in Scripture, but it's very very dangerous to tamper with and change the way God has chosen to reveal himself because when we won't understand him as he wanted to be understood. By referring to himself as he, he most certainly does not intend to minimize the significance of women since men and women are revealed as each being made in his image and therefore equal value and importance to him. But we also see that God inspired each and every writer of scripture to use masculine terms when referring to God. So it remains that he is called father, not mother. And even the incarnation chose to come to us as a man, Jesus. 
As I mentioned before, Jesus says in um, John 4, 24, God is spirit. We normally do not think of spirits as male or female since they have no bodies. So evidently, it is the body that most accurately conveys maleness and femaleness. Not some other abstraction. It is the body that conveys, most accurately conveys maleness and femaleness. Let's make sure we understand this. Now, these are very offensive words. I get it. I understand it. All I'm trying to do is let's look at what the Bible says. Now, we also recognize angels as spirits. And in every appearance of Scripture, angels also are, have masculine names and referred to in the masculine uh, way. And if an angel is ever manifest on earth, they also always appear as men. Evidently, God chose to use masculine terms to refer to all spirits, although they are not male or female. The answer clearly is we refer to God this way because this is the way he wanted us to refer to him and the way he wanted us to know him. But this isn't the end of the message. I could cut it off right here. This is the answer because God said so. But there are many applications and implications to consider. And I want to talk about three of them. About the father. Why do we. Why does he want to be known as father? They say that the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God is really the most vital importance. Why do you think about God? And what about the church as his bride? She, the same girl wanted to know. Why is, the, why is the church called the bride of Christ? What's that all about? Well, that opens up this whole. The whole side of marriage. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be aware of how an answer about God and male and female could spill over into many other areas of life and today's cultural issues. So, implication knowing number, uh, number one, knowing God is my father. A few decades ago, a German scholar named Joachim Jeremias Research the writings of the entire history of Judaism, all the Old Testament and all existing books of extra-biblical Jewish writings dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D. Thousands of years. And did not find a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as father. It just didn't. There are a few scriptural references like uh, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father that use the word father, but it's a handful. But they never talk about my father or our father. They're talking about this general uppity-up father. Now, they had appropriate forms that they used to address God. And as children, they were trained to memorize titles for God to show respect. But the term father was not one of them. Never. It simply wasn't done. People would speak of the fatherhood of God among Jewish people, but no one would address him directly as father. You know, Crosswave has heard this comment before. When we were at the fairgrounds, 
someone shared a testimony about having a relationship with God the Father. And a Muslim man walking by heard it and came up with, to Mary and wanted to investigate what this young person could possibly mean by calling God their father. I mean, it was an eye-opener for us to think about. But then the New Testament comes along, and we have a record of a Jewish rabbi with many prayers of his recorded for the ages that in every prayer he prayed except one, he directly addressed God as father. This rabbi, of course, is Jesus of Nazareth. It was such a radical departure from tradition that for this reason, many of Jesus' enemies sought to destroy him. And there was plenty of evidence for in recorded scripture, Jesus called God his father over 165 times. There was a lot of records, a lot of evidence. The Pharisees heard Jesus' claim of having this intimate relationship with the sovereign God of heaven the creator of all things, calling him Father, and it made them furious. What what you do today, Christian, calling God your Father, we sang about it, would make the Pharisees furious. As children adopted into his family, we take joy in remembering verses like Psalm 103, which talks about the Father, but again, it's not directly first person, my Father. It's as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. Obviously he does. And he remembers that we are dust. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he had to instruct them to pray our father. This was a radical departure from anything they'd ever heard before. We too have been taught to pray this way. Because it's a way for God to reveal himself to us. Jesus has given us the right and privilege to come into the presence of the majesty of God and address him as Abba. Because indeed, he is our father. He has adopted us into his family and made us co-heirs with his only begotten son. Now, it's very distinctive that God, that Jesus taught his followers to pray to God in this way. Because what it implies about the human race is that by nature, we are not the children of God. You've heard about the fatherhood of God and that we're all brothers with all of these different religions around the world. But that is what that what we what we think about if we think about the fatherhood of God for the whole world is uh, it implies about the children, that we're all sons and daughters of God and that is not true. Uh, we are not by nature the children of God. This is the exact dispute raised by the Pharisees who thought that just because they were born Jewish that they were children of Abraham and therefore children of God. And Jesus said, you are of your father the devil. God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So Jesus defines sonship in terms of adoption and obedience to God. A spiritual, not a physical descendants. Since no one is by nature obedient to God, we are by nature children of wrath. And not universally children of the Father. The only way we ever have the right to call God Father, to cry Abba in his presence, is because he has given us new birth by the power of his spirit and adopted us. The biblical message of sonship and daughterhood in the body of Christ is rooted and grounded in this new spiritual birth and adoption. That only Christ is a natural son of God. And only if you are in Christ do you become a member of the household of God. 
it is the New Testament church that is the family of God, the household of God. And if we talk about the universal fatherhood of God to all people, then the unique concept of redemption to new birth and adoption is completely obscured. We are children of wrath until we are in Christ. We are born again and we come into his family. We call him Father because Jesus taught us to. Two, why is the church called the bride of Christ? Now this gets really interesting when you think about it. God created human beings as his masterpiece to enjoy eternal intimacy with him. Our sexuality is somehow wrapped up in this, both male and female. Whether you marry or whether you remain single, it doesn't matter. There's something about your human sexuality that God uses to reveal himself to you. God is seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. And so because he is spirit, he must and does reveal himself to us, not by visual seeing, but by living faith. Now, here's where it really comes interesting. It seems that God has decreed it to take thousands of years to produce billions of humans all made in this image. For instance, today, there are 8 billion humans alive in the world. And every single one of them is made in the image of God. How many billions of people have been born? Some scientist said he thinks 110 billion people have been born at some point in history. Through thousands of years. To obey his command to Adam to be fruitful and multiply in order to provide for Adam to be to obey his command to be fruitful I mean that was what God said be fruitful and multiply but he had no Eve so to enable that being fruitful and multiply he had to create Eve I mean that's why he had to name all the animals to search all the animals and find no one suitable for him so God provided him with a helper fit for him the female Eve by his wisdom and by his glory, God designed all human species, plant and animal, to multiply not by the capability of a single organism, but only by the union of male and female. And it took thousands of generations. We don't know for sure, but it seems that God made all the spiritual creatures at once. All the angels at once. And then some fell. And there's no account of any angel having spiritual offspring. They, they're not being fruitful and multiplying like humans do. All of them were created at once and they're up wherever they are. But humans, generation after generation after generation after generation for thousands of years. Why such a huge difference? God forms human families through the blessed covenant of marriage to multiply generation after generation of men and women by providing nurturing, safe environments for children to grow into adulthood. Since the creation of male and female provides the necessary conditions for God-designed marriage to exist and reproduce, true marriage cannot exist without both male and female. And for true marriage to represent what God has in heaven it has to be one male and one female God designed this to demonstrate aspects of heaven's spiritual realities here on the earth 
Marriages on earth are called to reflect in glorious ways the union of every believer will enjoy with Jesus when he returns to embrace his church for eternity. You see, in heaven, there are no marriages other than the marriage to Jesus. So you got to think about how the sexuality is, is for this time and place to create generation after generation that all the chosen of God will come into existence. And God would show infinite patience and infinite faithfulness to see his plan come to pass. Um, so marriages on earth are called to reflect this way. According to God's plan, children being created as male and female enables all the chosen sons and daughters of God to come into existence until God's promise to redeem a chosen people for himself, people of God's own choosing for himself, can come into existence. What if God chose some of your children four generations from now? Then God will patiently wait until those children are born and he'll save them. <laughs> you can see how this, this answer just kind of spills over into everything. Um so the church, the body of Christ, all the elect of God, is being prepared for beauty and glory as God removes every spot and wrinkle. In this time, Jesus, the bridegroom, will come to receive his radiant bride to live in intimate relationship forever. This is why the church is called the bride of Christ. The true realities of, this, of the heaven will become evident to us all. But there's a third implication. Jesus as a man. Now, Jesus was fully human. He was fully male. The fact of Jesus being a male is not theologically unimportant. It's extremely important. The reason Jesus came as a man was to recover the failed headship of Adam, which had led to a fallen people. Jesus came to, as the last Adam to set up his rule for redeemed people. There's four verses I want to read. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Sin came into the world through one man, death through that sin, death spread to all men. Evidently, God held Adam responsible for sin, not Eve. We've got we to grab hold of this. God had given his command directly to Adam. And it warmed him to the death, even before Eve's creation. Although it was Eve who was deceived, it is through Adam, through the male, that sin entered the world. That's how God judges it. Thus, these scriptures will compare Adam and Jesus. Romans 5, 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty five. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So you see, he had to be a man. 
he had to totally pick up the banner that had fallen and create a new humanity. You know, people say, well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. I don't want to go back to the Garden of Eden because what we have in Christ is far better. What we have in Christ is far better than, than what Adam lost because God not only restored us life, he restored community with God and then all the blessings of the Holy Spirit living within us. So just as the first Adam is head over a fallen humanity bringing death and condemnation, Jesus, as the last Adam, brings justification from sin and resurrection life to redeemed humanity. Since it was a man who brought sin and death into the world, victory over death had to be accomplished by a man, a sinless man, with Adam not being his father. You see, if Jesus was born of Adam through the man... He would have been a sinner. He had to be born by the Holy Spirit, by the God the Father. That way, he was not a sinner. He could live a perfect life, and his sacrifice on the cross would pay the full debt for us. Jesus, Jesus is working at the same level of detail in each one of us, using our sexual identity for his glory. And he wants us to understand these things about God the Father and about his son Jesus so that we will see how his word fits together. Now at this point, I just wanted to say, are there any questions or complaints <laughs> anybody has about what I've said? How you think, well, what's, so what? Uh, I, I gave a message one time many, many years ago. One of my kids came to me and said, Dad, I, I enjoyed your message, but so what? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let me, make, let me see. How do I answer that? So what, what's the big deal? Why did you spend my time with that message? Um, and here's the cause. Where, where is it that people got off the path of understanding maleness and femaleness? Where is it that the temptation to change your sexuality became so great that people would mutilate themselves or chemically... They would forego every physical blessing in the future for a teenage decision to end it. And, and why as a culture should we adopt and celebrate and recognize those things when they destroy life? You see how the conflict there? Because it's fundamental. And then it spills over into what is marriage and all the deviant sort of thing is being proposed. We look back at, at Genesis and we realize God set up a lot of things. He laid out a lot of understanding of how the world works and how we are to live and operate in that world. So any complaints or comments before I conclude? one of the things that as our society is falling um, is sense. People don't believe in it. They don't care that there's a devil like the skit. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in sin. I don't believe there's in There's no such thing as sin. No there is sin. no such thing as sin. God loves me no matter what. They're all righteous and they're 
And so when you try to explain this stuff, and you try to be, convey, yeah. it's just... Yeah. Well, I, I just wanted to share, um, pray for Crossway team. I mean, these kids want to pursue Jesus, but they still have questions like the one that was asked. Yep. <laughs> Why do we call him he? Yeah. Yeah. If you go back and, and read Romans one through three, mm-hmm. and Romans one talks about they they didn't want the idea of God God in their knowledge. Yes. They wanted to disavow anything about God. That's. Yeah. That's the world God has us living in. That world. And it. I, 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 you know, I get a big kick out of this. Um, of all the places that God could have sent the demons when they fell, where did he send them? To earth. Of all the places God could have made man and woman and said, be fruitful and multiply, where did he cause it to happen? The earth. God knew that there would be a battle. He knew that we would go through the battle. We would wander. We would, and he would have to be the one that opens our eyes to see him. And when he opens our eyes to see him, he opens our eyes to see him as him, as father. And he sent a savior to totally eradicate the fallen world of Adam and to bring about a new and glorious world under Christ. So that's, that's my message to you this morning. That you be prepared to speak with people, confuse people. There was another section, but it's, I'm not going to go into it. Um, people who, who are searching for something, I'm sure, to alleviate the pain in their life. Or the confusion in their life. Or they realize that they have desires for things that the world says don't have the desire, but they, they don't want to deny themselves. Well... That's one of the commands of Christ. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, put that old man to death, and follow me. Um, he never told us it was going to be easy. But he told us that he would go with us. And that's what we hold on to. So today I wanted us to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. Um, I wanted to pray for us for your families, for your friends, for your neighbors, for people you work with, people that you go to school with, any government authorities, other authorities that work, churches, businesses, schools. Israel. Well, that's, that's coming up later. Uh, to live rightly according to God's ways. We can see why there's a battle and there's a war. Don't give up. Hold true to God. Secondly, I wanted to pray for Israel. These attacks on Israel. So many people killed and and taken hostage. Taken hostage. Um, And other armed conflicts around the world. Lauren Cunningham passed away two days ago. And um, A godly man with great vision and insight and organization and uh, 
just saw God do a mighty thing through his life and, and now is continuing. But he's now in the presence of Jesus. And so we, we just want to give God thanks for Lauren and his, his work. And the other thing I just wanted to mention is um, leadership for our House of Representatives. Uh, you know, everywhere you look, things are in dysfunction. Uh, there's a war going on. And we want to pray that God does great things. So would you pray with me? And these are some of the things I want to pray about. Maybe there's others and you can speak this out. But let me go and pray first about these things. So Lord, <clears throat> let us not be bashful or afraid to proclaim you as he. And Lord, if people want to speak to you about you as mother... Lord, I just pray that we might have the, uh, the gentle persuasion to show them the better way to understand who you are, the way you've revealed. And Lord, I pray that for every human contact we have. And Lord, I pray that the implications of being male and female, that it's, it's our bodies who most accurately portray who we are and who we are is chosen by you and you chose us Lord to be your your ambassadors you chose us to be your worshipers you chose us to enjoy you forever and Lord I pray that the way that you revealed a sexual identity with each, each one of us that we would rejoice in what you have chosen and give you thanks Lord we pray for the wisdom and instruction and freedom to live rightly in your ways Lord, with, with, with our friends and neighbors, even our own children, our children's friends. Lord, for Crosswave Team. Lord, we just pray for those 40 young people to know your ways. And Lord, we, we pray for Lauren Cunningham's family, for YWAM. Lord, thank you for this faithful servant who, who now has served you decades, decades, and seeing your hand move in wonders and in power throughout the whole world. Thank you, God, for the vision that you gave him. Thank you, God, for establishing um, his work here on the earth. And Lord, we pray that you, your hand on YOM might continue to flourish. Thank you, Jesus, for these people who have who come to serve you, Lord, and give you all they are. They lay everything down to serve Jesus and for your glory. And Lord, we just thank you for his life. We pray for his family, those who knew him the best. Lord, that you would be their comfort and strength. But Lord, we, we just imagine the grand reunions in heaven. And we wonder, Lord, what that's going to be like when we open our eyes and we breathe in that new life-giving air and we see the glory of the splendor of Jesus that we sang about earlier here this morning. And we do pray for Israel. And Lord, we, we pray, I pray, Lord, for an awake, a spiritual awakening within Israel that the hardness of heart and the scales over their eyes, just like Paul 
had to be removed because of blindness. Lord, I pray that Israel might truly be yours. And Lord, I pray that you protect them from attack and from injury and from being stolen away, kidnapped, from death, from murder, from the terror. And God, we don't know how to solve that problem. Literally. But Lord, just like Hezekiah prayed to you and spread out the letter before you and asked you to do great things. We ask you to do great things, God. And Lord, I do pray for our government. Just the, the level of uh, uncertainty and confusion and animosity that there is. Lord, I don't know how to heal that. Unless revival comes. Lord, the people are... Jesus, we ask you for leadership better than what we deserve. Lord, we ask you for humility, for a true search for justice, and a true search for righteousness. A true search, Lord, for what government should be responsible for. Peace, tranquility, fair trade. Lord, all of these things that we've learned and yet we've forgotten. Lord, that government is not based on animosity. It's not based on refusal to work together. Lord, we thank you for the form of government that you've given us. And we see, Lord, your hand of protection for our nation throughout the years. We just ask you, God, to do it again. Do it again, Lord. And finally, Lord, I, I just thank you that your word brings perfect clarity to, to why Jesus was a man. Why the church is called the bride of Christ. Why we refer to you as father. Even though you're neither male nor female. You've chosen to reveal yourself to us that way. Thank you, God. And Lord, we, we pray that uh, each prayer request here in the fellowship here this morning for healing. We thank you for healing. We thank you for surgeons who signed their work. We thank you for uh, recovery, Lord, of, of our bodies. We thank you, God, for a new baby is coming. We thank you, God, for life and liberty and justice. Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice freely, that we can stand and declare your praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Just let us not be fearful or afraid when we talk about these matters with others. Let us not be, let us not be overbearing, but let the truth stand on its own, Lord Jesus. And let's not be afraid. So, Lord, we, we thank you for these truths that you've shared with us. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.